Christmas, okay? So make sure you find that out there and invite somebody to come. Um, all right, this morning, um, I had my coffee. I'm ready to go. I typically don't have coffee. I'm a tea drinker, but I had some coffee today, so I got some extra espresso shots in me. I'm ready to go. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, God's got something prepared for you? Ooh, that's good. Okay, the other neighbor, look at somebody else and say, I'm ready. All right, if you're online, say, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you so very much for your goodness. Lord, that you stepped out of the beauty and glory of heaven into the darkness of this world, and you shined your radiant, beautiful, glorious light to the world. Father, I pray today that as I speak, Lord, that you would speak through me. And I pray for those that hear this morning, that they wouldn't just hear my words, but God, they'd hear your spirit speaking to them. May your words impact, change, and rearrange not only our perspective, but Lord, how we live life. I pray that your glorious beauty, God, would be reflected through our lives to the world around us. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that, say amen. Amen, amen. Uh, several years ago, um, my wife and I were on a trip to Mexico. And this just wasn't some trip to Acapulco where we were going to the beach. This was a trip to the mountains of Mexico. A lot of people don't know this, but Mexico has quite the mountain range. And we traveled for, uh, well, we took a flight. Then once we took the flight to get into Mexico, then we took some vans. And we drove vans for like, uh, I think it was 14 hours. And then once we got to the the, the little church that we were at, we had that we took these like kind of over the road vehicle uh, uh, cars, these these vans that had like four wheel that were specialized, and we took these where there were no roads, and we were looking for people, uh, this small community that had never heard the gospel before. And uh, my wife's a nurse practitioner, and we did a medical clinic. There was a plane that went over that dropped leaflets out so that people in this spread out community could come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ and also get free medical care. And as we arrived, it was in the evening. It was about 10 or 11 o'clock in the evening. And we were coming down this mountain range. And as we kind of crested this, this mountain and we began to go into the valley, I saw out of the corner of my eye just this little campfire that was at the very bottom of the valley that lit up this whole area. And as we made our way down into the valley and we, we got there and we set up camp, we were camping out, um, I began to look up into the sky. Have you ever been in one of those moments, maybe it was Colorado or maybe it was some, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, western part of Kansas where there are no lights, and you look up, into the sky. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Those amazing moments. And as I looked up into this Mexican sky that I'd never seen before, it was the most beautiful, surreal moment that I've had in my life. Like, looking back on it, years later, I can still picture the beauty and the grandeur of the stars that I was staring at. It was like it was amplified like 50 times from anything I've ever seen. It was so beautiful, and the verse that came to my mind uh, is out of Psalms, and it says that, the, that the, the heavens declare the glory of God. It was in that moment that I felt so small, so tiny, 
And God felt so big. The universe felt so big. But it wasn't just the universe recognizing that we live in the cosmos, but it was the fact that there was a creator of this cosmos that was even larger than the world that I could even comprehend. And I want to talk this morning about the radiance of God's glory, about how his glory radiates throughout the universe. Last week, we talked just a little bit about Moses and how Moses' face was radiant because he was invited to go up to Mount Sinai, and there he had a face-to-face conversation with God. When Moses was talking with God, he actually had a request. And the request that he has is in Exodus chapter 33 this morning. It's, it's I want to set the stage, and this is what Moses is saying to the Lord. It says in Exodus 33, 18, it says that Moses said, now show me your glory. And he wasn't just talking about some stars. He said, show me your glory. And then the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. It's almost as if we could say this, that if we were to define what glory is, what what God's glory is, it's it's the essence of who he is. And 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 if you wouldn't mind just a little bit, let me geek out just a little bit. There were like three major theologians that I looked at this week that that tried to define what glory is. And this is kind of what they had to say. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, probably one of the most influential in the uh, 19th century, uh, he had to say this, that the universe is not merely a random happenstance, but rather a grand tapestry woven by God to showcase his glory. I like that. Then going back even further, Augustine in the 300s. He, he said something like this. He said that, that God's glory is not something external to him, but rather it's an integral part of his being. In other words, glory isn't something that God has. Glory is who he is. It's the source of who he is. Again, all of these theologians are trying to put words to the divine, things that are outside of our knowledge. And then Karl Barth, he was a theologian uh, in, the, in the 20th century, probably one of the most influential, and this is what he said. He said, God's glory is far from human understanding, yet it remains the central reality of the universe. I want to say that one, just let that sink in. I've been studying all this stuff all week, and I'm like ready to dive into it, but I, I want you to soak it in for a second. Bart says something like this. He says, God's glory remains the central reality of the universe. It's a mystery that humbles us and invites us into a deeper relationship with our creator. So as we discuss like what is radiant glory today, it God's radiant glory just like I was several years ago in the mountains of Mexico, it his radiant glory reminds us that we really occupy a small place in the universe. That we, we, that you, you are not the center of the universe. Despite popular opinion on social media and all of the socials that we have, you are not the center of the universe. 
God's radiant glory is the central reality of the cosmos. From the beginning of time to the end of time, transcendent through all time, God's glory is the central part of all of it. Um, it, if I could put it this way, it's like God's glory is the source of all of his goodness and his truth. God said to Moses that he was going to allow all of his goodness to pass before Moses. In other words, like God is good. God is love. God is power. That, that, that all of that that comes and emanates from him, it's, it's who he is. So when we think about glory, and, and I was there in the, in the mountains of Mexico, and and, and, I, and I remember this, like, I, I got goosebumps, like, looking up at this. Have you ever had that moment where, like, you were like, so, like ooh, whoa, that, that was powerful. Just looking at the stars or maybe some beautiful mountain range or a beautiful, maybe, ocean site that you were looking at. But, but glory is, it's not, it's not just a bunch of fireworks or goosebumps. His glory transforms us his power and majesty and love it should change the way we live it's not just a feeling that we have sure that's good but god's glory his power his love his majesty all of those things when we encounter it it should transform our very lives in other words what happens is that when we receive Christ into our lives, we then become the very reflection of the glory and the beauty and the love and the power and the majesty of who he is. We become, if I can put it this way, we become living mirrors of the beauty of God. You become a living mirror of the beauty of God. And so then we, we fast forward to Isaiah, who's a prophet in the Old Testament, 700 years before Jesus Christ comes. And, and he has to say this. He, he, he's speaking to uh, the nation of Israel, but it's also really relevant for us as the church. And this is what Isaiah says. He says, arise, shine. Arise, shine. Can you look at your neighbor and say, arise? I just want to make sure you guys are still, still with me. Arise. Arise. Yeah, good. And, and then, okay, turn to your other neighbor and say, I'm going to shine. Good. All right. So here we are. So Isaiah is speaking to the people. I mean, I want you to internalize this for yourself. He says, arise, shine. Why? Because your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Woo. Now, think about what all the things that I just said. His glory, his beauty, his majesty, it's God's essence, it's who he is. It's not what he has, it's who he is. That light has come in Jesus Christ. That, that beauty, that the radiance of all of who Jesus is has come. And it says, and the glory of the Lord, it, it, what is it? it rises upon you. And then Isaiah, to make sure that the people understand, to make sure that we understand, he says, see, look, darkness covers the earth. I mean, c could we agree this morning that there's a lot of darkness in our world? I mean, right? I mean, there are wars their division and conflict, and not just out there, but probably in your own life, in your own family, 
at Christmas as you think about the get-togethers and maybe the conflict that might be there. Uh, the, the, the passage that, that we're reading this morning that Isaiah is speaking to you, he says, listen, look, look because of the darkness, because of the thick darkness over all the people that are out there, in light of all that, I want you to arise. I want you to shine. Why? Because the light has come. Because the glory of God has risen upon you. Whew. Okay. I don't know if you've got it yet, but, but we're going to get there. Okay. So I want to read this. Oh, this is so good. And, and um, if you don't mind, again, I'm kind of geeking out today on some stuff. But uh, just I, I thought this was really good. It talks about the glory of Jesus Christ. So when we're talking about Isaiah, he's referencing the light to come, which is Jesus Christ, which many of you have received Christ into your light. He shines light in our lives. And, and, and so we think about, well, what is the glory of Jesus Christ? The glory of Jesus Christ, it's a concept that's both dazzling and profound, intricate yet strangely familiar. It shimmers like a jewel in the crown of creation, a love song whispered across galaxies. Imagine a tapestry woven from light itself, each thread a miracle, each knot a whispered prayer. That's the glory of Jesus. A breathtaking kaleidoscope of divine attributes, all focused on one purpose, love. It's the power or I should rather say, he's the power that healed the sick, the grace that forgave the sinner, the wisdom that taught the lost. It's the melody that calmed the storm, the laughter that danced with children, the tears that wept for the world. It's not just about flashy miracles, though those were awe-inspiring. It's the quiet moments, the gentle touch, the listening ear. It's the way Jesus saw the potential in a tax collector the dignity in a prostitute, the hope in a child. His glory wasn't a performance. It was his presence. It wasn't about blinding us with brilliance, but about illuminating the best of who he is. It wasn't about demanding worship, but about igniting a love that would transform the world. The glory of Jesus isn't some museum ex uh, exhibit. It's a living invitation. It's a call to step into that tapestry to become the thread of ourselves woven into this grand design of love. So, so how do we experience this glory? We open our hearts. We surrender our darkness. And we let his light fill us. We become conduits reflecting his love outward. One act of kindness and one whispered prayer at a time. And as we do this, then the world, like Isaiah is talking about here, that dark world, it begins to shimmer with new light. The tapestry expands, the melody grows, the love song of Jesus Christ echoes through eternity, forever changed, even by the thread of our own lives. And that's what true glory is. It's not something to behold, it's something to be. It's the chance to become part of something bigger than ourselves. A story of redemption written in the stars, sung in forgiveness, and lived out in love. That's, that is the glory of Jesus Christ. And when Isaiah says, arise, shine, for your light has come, he's talking about all of that stuff. And he's saying, if I could pull these two verses, I want to. 
He said, first you need to arise. Church, there are, there are some of you out here today that, that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but you're just sitting in the pew. You're sitting in a nice, comfortable chair, and I think a beautiful worship center with a nice coffee cup holder right to your right or your left. Comfortable chairs. We have heat here. It's beautiful. I mean, in a sense, it's easy to just come and to experience. But God doesn't want us just to come and experience. He wants you to arise. He, he wants you, the, the word there in the Hebrew, he wants you to stand up like he wants you to step into, if I could put it this way, he wants you to step into the glory of who God is. And not just watch it from afar, but step into it. This is, this is what God has for you. Every single one of you, God wants to pour out his glory, his light into your life so that you will rise up. So I'm challenging you today. Those of you that may be like kind of sitting back and you're just kind of spectating, I'm challenging you to step into the story of God's amazing glory. Like he has beautiful, amazing things for you. And I believe that there are some dead dreams. I believe there are some things in your life that maybe God has spoken to you years ago, dreams that are not quite realized, thoughts that you've had in your head about things that you should do, good deeds that you should do, but you've sat on them. Today, I want to poke you just a little bit and say, step out of your own comfort zone and start doing the thing that God is calling you to do. And if you don't know exactly what he's calling you to do, go back today and sign up for a food drive and start with the little things by collecting some cans of food. It's those little things that lead to bigger things. But we need to step up it's like we're sitting down and God is saying, I want you to rise up. I want you to rise up. Now, I can talk about maybe those of you that maybe, maybe feel like you're just kind of sitting and watching, but I also I want to affirm those that are like stepping into the story of God's glory. Uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 2 says this. It says, it is God himself who made us what we are and has given us new lives from Jesus Christ. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend those lives in helping others. I'm trying to weave these two things together. Like, we're, we're called to rise up, and God designed you, formed you, fashioned you, so that you could spend the lives that he created in helping others. And I was thinking about different people in our church that, like, do a really good job of this. And I was thinking, uh, again, I can't name everybody because there's a lot of you that are doing great things. But I was thinking of Rocky Ridgeway, right over here. Rocky, give Rocky up a great big hand. Rocky, you're awesome. He's been in this church for decades. He served faithfully. He leads our, what we call our 50-plus young-at-heart crew. And every single month, he's engaged with um, young at heart people. I'm not going to say old, just young at heart. 
and he loves them. He, he takes them on trips. They have lunches together. And he, he stepped into the story of God's glory by reflecting God's love to a whole group of people that need his love. Like he's a living mirror of God's love to a group of people that need God's love. And he's stepping into that story. I, I'm also thinking about um, uh, a young person in our church named Adelaide. And I don't know that she's here this morning, but, but Adelaide, I, she's 17 years old, and she has an incredible voice, and she's using her skills, the thing that God fashioned her for, to lead people into worship. And she doesn't just lead on Sunday mornings, she leads on Wednesday nights, and then she's involved in different ministries throughout the city where she uses her talents to lead people into worship of God. It's like she's a living reflection of God's glory to those that she leads in worship. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And then I think of uh, another couple in our church, uh, Greg and Barb. And uh, they're, a, they're an amazing couple. They're, they're, I'm going to just say they're a little bit older. Okay, they're 70 plus. Knocking on 80. But they're awesome. And you know what they do? Every single month, you know where they go? They go out to the streets and feed the homeless in our community. Every month. They're, they're, they're gathering and making sandwiches, putting it together, collecting scarves and hoods and, and, and coats and sleeping bags. And they go out and they find where the homeless are and they help them. In other words, what they're doing, all of these people are incredible. And this is what they're doing, it says in Matthew 5. Let your light shine before others. Right? Arise Shine, Isaiah says. Jesus says this, let your light shine. Can you say shine this morning? Okay, let's say this. Let your light shine. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I know I do this. I'm going to just do it one more time because it makes me feel good. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, let your light shine? Can you do that? <laughs> Online. Say, let your light shine. It's good. We're, we're called to let our light. Jesus is calling us to let our light shine. He says this, let your light shine before others so that they may see your, what? Good works. Ooh, sometimes as Christians, we don't like to use that word. Like, oh, it's not good works, it's faith. We're saved by faith through grace. Yeah, 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 I get that. But Jesus also says, let your light, what? Yeah, let your light shine so that they, those that are not believers or followers of Jesus, that they may see your good works and what, so that they can, what, so that they can give glory, so that they can reflect back to your Father who's in heaven. In other words, when we begin to do the works of God, we become the light to the world that then they can begin to embrace that in their own lives and then begin to glorify God because of the good works that we do. Ooh. If I could succinctly put this, Isaiah says, arise, let your light shine. Why? Because the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. God's glory has risen upon us. So we see in that verse then that we're called to shine God's glory on earth. That's, that, that's one of the reasons why you were created, to shine God's glory. In other words, who he is, his love. You're called to shine God's love, even when people don't deserve love. You're called to shine God's forgiveness, 
even when people don't deserve forgiveness. You're called to be good to people, even though they may treat you poorly. Why? Because isn't that what God did for you? Or maybe you guys were just all good and you never really had any issues. Right? Because I know I've done lots and lots of stuff that I regret. Sins, failures, mistakes. And in all of that, God's been so good to me. He's forgiven me. He's loved me. He's changed me. He's washed my sin as far as the east is from the west. I can stand in his glorious presence, not because of what I've done, because I've done horrible things, but because of God's goodness. And so then I need to reflect God's goodness. It says in the New Testament that it says that God causes his rain to shine on the just and the unjust. He causes his goodness to fall on those who are good and those who are evil. And so in the same way, we reflect God. We reflect his love and his forgiveness and his joy. We collect food. We encourage people. We love one another, even the unlovely, because that's what God did for us. We become living mirrors of who God is. Church, I'm, I'm challenging you this morning. Would you reflect God in the world in which you live? It's, it's, it's so critical. It's what we're called to do. We're called to shine God's glory here on earth. But I want to take the next step. We're not only called to shine God's glory on earth, we're going to shine his glory in heaven. Okay, now this is where it gets a little bit kind of hard to put our hands around, but I'm going to try to take us there t today. And Daniel, I just, I just want you to say, we're going to shine his glory in heaven. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you've accepted Christ into your life, then his, his, his glory dwells within you, and you're not just called to shine it here on earth, but in, in, in heaven you're going to reflect his glory too. Let me read this. In Daniel chapter 12, it says this, many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. This is Daniel. And he's saying this to a saved, redeemed community. In other words, he, he's saying it to us, the church. That those who lead many to righteousness, that, that we're going to shine like the stars forever. We're going to shine like the stars forever. And then... Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus, he says, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone who has ears to hear should listen and understand. So we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and I could go through a whole lot of verses, but I just chose these two, where it says that we're going to shine like stars, and then Jesus says we're going to shine like, like the sun. Th th these are similes. I don't want you to get lost in, in the, the poetic nature of it. You're not going to become a sun. You're not going to become a star. That's not, for all of eternity, you're going to be this big globe of radiant light. And that's, that's, not, that's not what we're to become. But Jesus is saying, that, but, but you're going to shine like the sun. I, I could almost put it this way. Jesus is saying, you're going to shine like my father. 
the same glory that he has, he, he's going to give to you. Uh, you're not going to be comma star or sun. It's, it's simply a poetic device talking about a spiritual reality. Because our purpose is that we're to shine God's glory, not just now, but forever. For, for, forever. You are created for another world. Like this world, it's temporary. Every single one of you, whether you're a believer or not, you were created for another world. In Philippians chapter 3, it says this. Paul is speaking. He says, I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19. They are headed for destruction because their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Paul saying that the enemy of the cross of Christ is for those who think only about this life here on earth. I think that's really fascinating. You're destined for another world. And, and we need to wake up to the fact that God, that God wants to use you in his kingdom right now, but we need to wake up to the fact that this world is temporary and it's not our permanent home. It's almost as if we've been kind of mesmerized by some kind of, uh, I don't know, like maybe some kind of spell that, that we have, that we're putting all of our eggs into the basket of this earth. I'm going to maybe say some controversial stuff right now. I'm going to make sure I get it right. What I see in our culture right now is that we're trying to make earth heaven. We're trying to do all that we can to make sure. It's almost like we've become people who idolize planet earth. Because all of our hope is in a finite world. And so we're going to do whatever we can to make sure that this finite world lasts forever. It, it's, it's, why we, it's why some people, and again, I want you to hear what I'm going to say over the next minute or two, okay? So just hang with me. It's why some people, it's like, they're going to do whatever they can to make sure that planet Earth, it, it's like the idol. They wouldn't say it's an idol, but they're going to put like all the eggs of their life into this basket and for their children and their children's children, like, like this is it. So we've got to protect it and do everything that we possibly can because it's the source. And so we want to stop pollution and we want to recycle and we want to do all of these things because the theology behind that is that the earth is almost like a God. It sustains us and keeps us and, and allows us to have breath and allows us to continue. And so we're going to do everything that we can to empower that to go on forever and ever and ever. And so we do all these things. And it becomes kind of a theology for us, whether we realize it or not. Now, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin, and this is where I want you to hear me, is that it's kind of like, if I could put it this way, the earth is kind of like your body or my body. You only get one. You, you, get, you get one body on this earth. 
one body. And so I, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I do everything possible, like to live a healthy life. I, I run, I exercise, like this is what I do. I run, I exercise, I, I make sure that I, that I eat, you know, pretty well, not really great. I still want to enjoy my life, but at the same time, I'm not going to guzzle like gallons of root beer and eat lots of frozen pizza and sit and just watch TV all day long and not do anything because whatever, it's just one life, I'm going to die anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Right? So there's this tension that we have. And this is what it is with the planet. Like, the planet is not our savior. The planet is going to burn up. Can I say that? I I said it. I'm going to say it. The planet is going to burn up. Like, just from a scientific perspective, this earth is going to burn up. The sun is going to eventually die out. And it's going to burn up. My body is going to die. And so I hold intention, like I want to treat it with respect, but it's not an idol in my life. And that's how we should look at the earth around us. We're good stewards of what God has given us. I'm a steward of my life. You're a steward of your life. I'm not going to go crazy with all of those things, recognizing that at the end of the day I'm going to die. But I keep in my head and my heart the theology of this in Philippians, as this verse continues, they only think about this life. They only think about this world. That means they're the enemy of the cross when they just think about this earth. Then Paul goes on, but he says, but, but, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Oh, and I love this part. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. That's powerful. And can I tell you this? He's not just going to change your body. We're also going to get a new heaven and a new earth. The same way in which he changes our bodies, he's going to change the earth as well. Ooh, I don't know what that looks like, but I can't wait. C.S. Lewis, um, I love the way he writes. And he says, you know, we're, we're citizens of heaven. Like, there's a new heaven and a new earth. There's a glory and a beauty and a grandeur that we, we can't quite put words to. He says, he says it's, it's like the scent of a distant flower. Or like a new heaven and a new earth and a new body. It's like an echo of a, an unheard tune. We catch glimpses in the sunrise. Or a poem that may make your heart skip. It's beauty, yes, but... It's longing, leaving us breathless and unsatisfied. Because we're made, you, you we, we're made for more. Like the world and all that it has, all of its joys, it doesn't fully satisfy. And I think that's why some people struggle with anxiety and depression and discouragement. Because they're, they're made for more. 
And the only thing that can really satisfy them is God himself. Because he formed and fashioned us. Like we were made for more. It's, uh, Lewis has this kind of thought and he says it's, it's, like, it's like the analogy of a person who's starving to death. And they're hungry for food. So he says, because man is hungry for food, it means that we were made for food. And in the same way that we're like dissatisfied with stuff on earth, it it means that we were made for more. We have a soul hunger, Lewis would say, where we come from a world with heaven. It's almost like... It's like a child that's like having, like, like draws a, a beautiful house, like a dream house. The, the crayon scribbles. It hints at something else. That child can see a lot more. This, this is the world that we live in. It's like a crayon to what God has in store for us. We try to put images and words to it, but the beauty and the grandeur is so much greater than what we can even begin to imagine. It's so good. And some of it seems a little strange. Uh, streets paved with gold. Uh, like gates that are out of like one gemstone. And, and we're left kind of going, what does that mean? That's weird. It sounds, sounds good, but, but it's poetic. We're trying to put words to something that's outside of who we are. When, when, when these apostles had like visions of what God was showing them, they were trying to put words to a reality that, that we haven't experienced yet. And it's okay to let the mystery linger, like to not have all of the answers to the questions. If we had answers to all of the questions, God wouldn't be God. You would be God. But because there's a mystery, because there's even a strangeness to the, some of the things that we read, it doesn't mean it's not true. It just means it's outside of our realm of understanding. And that, that I can take comfort in to know that, God, you, you know a lot more than I do. And there's a lot more beauty that I'm going to experience that I can even begin to understand. In closing, I, I've, been, I've been reading this book. Uh, and this is where a lot of this is coming out of me. It's, it's a book called Imagine Heaven. And the author is talking about all of these near-death experiences and how it's changed the people that have had these near-death experiences. Some of these people, like, like they, they were in an accident and they were brain dead for like 10 or 15 minutes. And they, 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 they say that they kind of, kind of left their body and had an experience. And I, I've been reading this, and I've been reading it with a grain of salt. But man, as I began to read story after story, there was like a thread through this that, that's really powerful. And there was one story that I, I felt like, like I wanted to read because it has this idea of God's glory and his goodness and his light to make sure that we understand that we're bound for something more than just this earth, that we don't just shine here on earth, but we shine in heaven. A 20-year-old Ian McCormick was from New Zealand, and one day he went to find the perfect wave, the perfect tie, and the perfect girl. I love that. Young kid wanting wanting to experience it all. So he spent years doing whatever he pleased. He had the money. He traveled to Australia and Africa and Indonesia. 
And one night while scuba diving off the coast of Mauritius, and it's an island in the Indian Ocean, a school of box jellyfish stung Ian four times. Now, if you don't know, a box jellyfish, one sting can kill you. And he was stung at least four times. In the ambulance on the way to the hospital, Ian said, my thoughts were racing. I'm too young to die. Why did I have to go diving? Anybody ever had those regrets sometimes? I was so stupid. Why did I do that? This is what he's saying. I, I lay there wondering what would happen if I died. Is there anything after I die? Where would I go if I died? And then he said he saw a vision of his mother. And she was back in New Zealand. And he was on his way from the ambulance to the hospital. And he said, it was as if in this vision, my mom was speaking out these words that she had said to me so long ago. Ian, no matter how far from God you are, no matter what you've done wrong, if you cry out to God from your heart, he will hear you and forgive you. Ian said, in my heart, I was thinking, do I even believe there's a God? Am I going to pray? He said, I'd almost become like a devout atheist. I don't believe anybody. I don't believe in anything. But here I was confronted by this vision of my mom. Ian found out later that his mother had been roused awake from a dream showing that Ethan was dying. And so in New Zealand, she began to pray with all of her might. Ian recalls, I, I didn't know what to pray or who to pray to. I mean, which God should I pray to? Buddha, Kali, Shiva, because there are thousands of them. But I saw that my mother, that, that she had followed Jesus Christ, and I wondered, what should I pray for? And as he lay there in the ambulance, he said he couldn't quite remember the Lord's prayer that his mother taught him. But he started pleading with God, forgive me, God, forgive me. I ask that you forgive my sins. I've done so many wrong things. I, I don't know how you can forgive me of my sins. And then it says he blacked out. They arrived at the hospital as the nurse took him into the room. They gathered his blood pressure and they tried to take it twice. They couldn't find a pulse. The doctors tried to save his life, but to no avail. And within a few minutes, he slipped into eternity. He says about 15 minutes is what the doctors say. He, was, he said, I was taken up out of my body towards an incredible light. It looked as, like a white fire or a mountain of cut diamonds, sparkling with the most incredible, indescribable brilliance. As I stood there, questions were racing through my heart. Is this just a force like the Buddhists say or karma or yin and yang? Is this just some power or energy source or could this actually be someone? As I was thinking these thoughts, a voice from the center of the light spoke to me and said, Ian, do you wish to return? And then Ian said, well, if I'm out of my body, I want to return. I want to go back. The response from the person was, if you wish to return, you must see in a new light. And he said, the moment that he heard the word see in a new light, something clicked. He said, I remembered seeing a Christmas card which said, Jesus is the light of the world. And God is light and there's no darkness in him. So this was God. He's light. He knew my name. And he knew the secret thoughts in my heart and mind. I felt totally exposed and transparent to God. You can wear masks before other people but you can't wear a mask before God. I felt ashamed and undone. My first thought was this light was going to cast me back to the pit 
But to my amazement, a wave of pure, unconditional love flowed over me. It was the last thing I expected. Instead of judgment, I was being washed with pure love, pure, unadulterated, clean, uninhibited, undeserved love. It began to fill me up from the inside out. I told him all the disgusting things I'd ever done under the cover of darkness, but it was as though he had already forgiven me because God showed me that when I had asked for forgiveness in the ambulance, it was then that he forgave me and washed my spirit clean from everything. I found myself weeping uncontrollably as the love became stronger and stronger. It was so clean and pure with no strings attached. This love was healing my heart and I began to understand that there is an incredible hope for humankind in this love. I was so close. I wondered if I could just step into the light that surrounded God and see him face to face. And as I stepped into the light, it was as I'd come inside the veils of that were suspended and shimmering lights like suspended stars or diamonds giving off the most amazing radiance. I looked towards his face. It was so bright. It seemed to be about 10 times brighter than the light I'd already seen. It made the sun look yellow and pale in comparison. I knew I was standing in the presence of Almighty God. No one but God could look like this. And then he continues. You are made for so much more than this earth. God has so much for you, not just here, but in eternity, God has so much for you. As I was reading this book, I like overwhelmed with the idea that there's like so much more around us than we can see, that we're headed to a place of glory and light and splendor and none of this, absolutely none of this, would be possible without Christmas. Without Jesus stepping into our dark world, coming in humility, being born in a manger, so that we could experience his radiant light, his glory, his beauty, the only reason we're able to experience that is because of Christmas. And I want us to keep in mind this month as we celebrate Christmas that His radiant glory longs to shine on you so that not only can you shine here on earth, but that we will be like stars in the heaven shining God's radiant light for all the universe to see. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me this morning? I wonder if there are those that are here this morning that maybe you're far from God, that you've not accepted Christ into your life, you've not accepted God's light, His glory, His beauty into your life. I want you to know that you've not gone too far for God to love you and to forgive you. There's no line you've crossed. There's no place you've gone that God's love can't reach where you are right now. Whether you're watching online or you're here, God's arms are stretched out to you and he bids you to come to himself. And all he asks is that you surrender your darkness to him. And then God will come flooding into your life with his light and his glory. I wonder today, 
as there are eyes closed and our heads are bowed, I wonder if there's anyone here that would simply raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to receive the light of the world in my life. If that's you, just right now, just lift up your hand and I want to pray for you right where you are. Anyone here that would say, yeah, that's me. Anyone here online that would say, Amen. Let's pray. If you raise your hand, or maybe in your heart, just repeat these words in your own life, in your own heart, under your breath, the Lord. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for those that are here or that are far from you. Lord, I pray that as they cry out to you, as they ask for forgiveness, that your light would flood into their life. I pray that they would turn from their sin, from their mistakes, from their shame, and Lord, they would turn to the beauty of your cross, that you paid the ultimate price for us, that you died in our place, and you rose from the dead to give us new life that will last forever and ever and ever. Lord, I pray, move in the hearts of those that desperately need you. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for those that are here today that maybe are already believers but feel far from you. Lord, I pray for those that maybe are a little bit maybe indifferent or apathetic, those that need to arise this morning and shine. Lord, I pray that you would impart within us the ability to rise and shine, Lord, so that we can display your goodness to a dark world.